Do you know where you were on July 8th, 1977? I'm going to give you a minute to think about that. Peruse the thinking box, dredge up those memories. While you're doing that, I'll tell you where I was. I was 14 years old at the Halifax Forum gearing up to see Kiss's Love Gun Tour with an opening act called Cheap Trick. It was my first big rock show and I remember it as if it was yesterday and not, and I can't believe this, almost 40 years ago. Now a lot has changed since then. I don't have braces anymore, for instance, but one thing hasn't. With 20 million albums sold, 40 gold and platinum certifications for 16 studio albums, Cheap Trick is still rocking as hard as they did when they made my 14-year-old braces rattle. Recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and with a new album called Bang Zoom Crazy Hello, available now, founding members Rick Nielsen and Tom Peterson join me at the House of Crows. Check this out. This is a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy this. This was a, a significant moment for me. For you, it would, you would have been just with, a... You, you look good without the braces. Well, thank you very it much. Worked, they, worked. they did their job. So this was just another show for you. Tell me... Oh, I would guess it was, because I'm not going to well, ask you specifics about it. Uh, it was... Uh, specifics? It was just... It was... Uh, it's like yesterday. Sort of like the early part of the 1977 tour we did with Kiss. We started in Moncton, mm -hmm. and then uh, I don't know where... The, what number in, in the order we were, but uh, we went all across Canada, and, and that was our first that was our first big break. And you had sort of met them while you were playing at Max's Kansas City in New York City, right? That's correct. And yeah. tell me about that. Tell me about Max's first. This is Tom. Uh, tell me about Max's because I've only ever read about it. It's a legendary rock and roll bar in it's, New York City, long gone. Yeah, it's down like around I don't know Fifteenth and Park Avenue. Yeah, it's a photo store or something now. But anyway, it. It was the kind of the rival club to CBGB. CBGB's was like total punk scene, and Max's was like the glam scene. Right. And that's where Andy Warhol hung out. And you gave a guitar lesson to Andy Warhol. Did that happen at Max's? Uh, no, that happened when we played at uh, bottom the Bottom Line. Right. And uh, he came saw us at our show first. <clears throat> actually, our first show because we didn't do the second one. We didn't play the second set that night. And the owner said. You're never gonna work New York again. You know, it's like, oh no. You know, it's like. So he didn't like the music. Or? No, no. He was right about one thing. We never worked the bottom line again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to hear it. Yeah. Now, yeah, it was just, it was kind of a press sort of thing, and we thought we'd played like lame clubs, in, all around the country, yeah. which we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But that was like there was like big pillars all over. The, you know, it's like there was no good line of sight to see anybody, and it was right. small. And uh, we, you know, we were our first record had, you know, wasn't even out. And when we played at Max's Kansas City, if we're going back to that, yeah. you know, I think it was like a Thursday night in 1976 while we were doing our first album. And when Paul and Gene, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons came in, yes, they knew about us. And we'd, you know, of course, we obviously knew them, but we never really met them. But uh, they came to our show. And I think there was maybe 15 people there. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it was like... We were totally unknown, but we wanted to play, and uh, it was set up for us, and uh, we entertained those two boys. And uh, and Wayne County was there. Wayne really? County. Yeah, Jet yeah, Boy, was Jet there. Girl, right? Was that, was that was Wayne County, right? No, Jet Boy, Jet Girl was uh, the, the plastic... Yeah, you're right. Uh, Plastique Bertrand. Yes. Yeah, that's right. 
Uh, yeah, I, I can't really name any of the uh, <laughs> Wayne County ones because yeah. it's all profanity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wayne County was before Jane County. The, the, electric, right. yeah. the electric chairs was yeah. this band. Yeah, yeah. And what were those days like? Tell me a little bit about that. I'm watching Vinyl right now on, yeah. uh, on hey. HBO, and that show is painting this picture for me of what it would have been like in New York in 1973. What, what oh. when you think about it? Tell me, Tom, what you what your first memory is. Well, you mean when we went to New York at that yeah. time? Well, that was a little after that. It wasn't 73. It was right. probably 76. And uh, it was wild. I mean, we recorded our first album at the record plant in New York, 44th and 8th, which is in the heart of Times Square. And Times Square was a pretty scary place. Yeah, yeah. It was all uh, the, called it the Deuce, right? I don't know. It was it? I think it was called the Deuce that neighborhood, and it was all you know peep shows and, and yeah, it terrible was people. Forty fourth yeah. and eighth, yeah, that was yeah, uh, that where was nuts. show world was yeah. yeah, and we were at third. Was it third? No, no, it's third. that's that? L.A. Was, yeah. uh, Are you talking about the record plant in Los Angeles? Yeah, yeah and, but that yeah, you know, there's two of them, but the one in New York, yeah. that's where we spent all our time was there. And you you stayed you stayed. Uh, I stayed in Jack Douglas's apartment, which he wasn't in anymore. Up. <laughs> Up near the Dakota, I think it was on 75th and Amsterdam or something. And yeah. the, the other guys in the band stayed. They were down at the Gramercy, Gramercy Park. Park. And I stayed with Jack Douglas in, in Montclair. Uh, Montclair, New Jersey, yeah. right next door to Yogi Berra. Oh, really? Yogi Berra lived next door to him. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. And my roommate in Jack's apartment was a grave digger. Really? Yes. Well, that makes sense because <laughs> you had just come out of a band, not just, but a few years before called the Grim Reapers. So maybe it was... I, suppose, a, yeah, I never. Yeah, I suppose it was... <laughs> Predestined. Jack Douglas, of course, the legendary record producer and uh, really famous for making records with John Lennon, but lots of other people. Aerosmith. He, he's in Aerosmith, but he essentially discovered you guys, right? So, it, kind of, you know, like he knew about us and uh, he was going to Waukesha, Wisconsin, because that's where his, uh, his in-laws lived. And we played quite a bit. At this, uh, it was called Sunset Bowl. It was a bowling alley, and then we'd play on Sunday nights. And he was going to be there, and so we we had a pretty good following by then. And but it was a really a drinking bar. We we usually played downtown Milwaukee, but because of Jack, we went there, and he came, and we didn't know him, you know, and it was like love at first sight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he loved our band, and we weren't signed, and. And time you have us. Well, he was really instrumental in getting mm -hmm. us. He, we were unsigned, and nobody. We nobody were, we were trying to get a record deal, but it right. wasn't wasn't working out. So he said, "When you guys secure a record deal, I'll sign. I'm signing on as your producer." And the minute that the labels found out that he was going to produce us, they got into a bidding war, and we were signed. And all of a sudden, all the people who had turned us down, they. Uh, well, maybe hey, these guys are a lot better now than they were last <laughs> week. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, we were brilliant. I'm speaking with Tom Peterson and Rick Nielsen of the band Cheap Trick. Their new album is called Bang Zoom Crazy. Hello. That's is that, right. Is that I, right? I, it's sort of a Three Stooges kind of feel to it, is that? Uh, or uh, we, we, Steve Dowell. You know Steve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the one that started doing that with the Jerry Lewis. Hello. Right. Hello. Uh, at uh, the end. And then, uh, then uh, what's his name? Uh, Mark Goodman. Used to be right, on yeah. MTV, and now you hear him on 
I hear I just heard him last night in Canada. He's on he's on almost everything. He's oh really? On, he's a voiceover of, of Chevy of this of that and that and that. If you go down the line, if, wow. if you as you listen to ads, listen for his voice. Just like about about every other ad, and, and he's been doing it. I I met him on a plane 25 years ago after MTV, and right. he, he was like flying first class to to New York from L.A. or back from forth or wherever. And I was like. And he just did a show with us the other day. We did. It, we were at uh, a competitor in New York. Yes, they're all competitors of you. Uh, yeah, but I Richard, so. you're, you're the greatest. I heard you're you're like number one or but, but something the, like in, that. in my own head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. in my own, own head, head, I am. Yeah. Well, hell, you. Who else? <laughs> Nobody has asked us anything about seeing us uh, with Kiss in 1977. You're the first. That was... It, uh, and you, honestly, like I said, you look great with all those places. <laughs> that show uh, it meant so much to me. It was my first big rock show. I had seen uh, a couple of other smaller shows in, in rinks and that kind of thing. Grew up in Nova Scotia in Rink, Canada. Yeah. That. And in uh, and and uh, that's where, you know, when you live in a rural place, that's where bands play as they come through. I'm sure you must we have played, played a lot rinks. of rinks. I yeah. saw the Yardbirds in an ice skating rink and so did Rick. Uh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah Original band, yeah. and so without because, Clapton, not not the original. Yeah. But it, but the Yardbirds for you and Jeff Beck in particular were such a a big deal. Was that a, like a, a monumental show for you? Oh, uh, which one? The, the, seeing them at the we, rink, yeah. Oh yeah, well, oh. It was, it, there was. I don't recall that that many people. Was no, there were, it was a huge blizzard, and it was out in the outskirts of town. It, it was, was a, you know just kind of a disaster show. And but, nobody. But the we Yardbirds were not big, they, and there were probably maybe a hundred people there. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll show you something here. Keep talking. I'll keep talking. So I want to go back just a little bit. We're talking, we're reminiscing a little bit. We'll talk about the new album and all the cool stuff, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in in, uh, in a couple of minutes. But I noticed, Rick, that you're wearing a shirt that I think has the logo of your dad's record yeah. store on it. So uh -huh. um, tell me a little bit about, oh, and you're showing me a photo right now. That's cool. You've saved the ticket stub from that show. So the Yardbirds plus Mickey They and the Them. Oh yeah, wow. they were all they were all blonde, like peroxided blonde. <laughs> See what here. it says? Sunday, December eleventh, nineteen sixty-five. Wow. Rock, Rock River, Rock River Roller Palace. It was halfway between Rockford and Byron, Illinois. Oh wow! And it was you know just a big old dumb room. Yeah. And they played in Chicago later that night. It says. I recall it being in the afternoon. No, because remember we almost got came, killed along maybe, the way. Maybe, maybe they played in Chicago and then came to right. you know, out there. Yeah, I bet it was because it was terrible weather. We couldn't see anything and it was ridiculous. But you I had to care. see the Yardbirds. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. the coolest. We got you know, could stand right there and it was like, how'd they get that that sound on the guitar? You know, like we could have probably yeah. just walked back there and started talking to him. We never considered it, right? Well, Rockford, Illinois, is where, which is where you're both from, right. and, and you still live there, right, Tom? You don't. I don't. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. You live in Nashville now, but uh, but Rick, you still live there. You I grew do. up there. Your dad's store was there. Your your parents were opera singers and involved in music. So, do you think that you were kind of predestined to be a musician, or is it is that off base? You know, it's like the only thing I can remember ever liking. You know, yeah. you know, besides. Drinking heavily, you know. No. Uh, you know, my my parents were you know professional musicians, which is like, and my, both my mother and father worked. And we started off near Chicago and moved to Rockford when I was uh, in 1956. So then, you know, I was just a little kid. Yeah. And um, you know, my father sang in choirs and was choir director, and he had a radio show, WMBI, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and he sang with Billy Graham, and and the, and the first time I ever was ever on stage, it was a, I walked out on stage, 
not supposed to, but uh, Bar- Barbara Seville. I walked out. Wow. This is the truth. I was, I was three years old. I walked out on a stage, you know, going, go to see my dad. Yeah, your dad's you know, out there. What's he dressed up like that for? You know, it's like I walked out there and people started laughing and clapping. <laughs> and that's what I like still to this day, laughing and, and clapping. And now here we are all these years later. Uh, Tom, you used to shop at the record and music store, right? In his dad's store? Yeah. Well, everyone did. He would not really shop because he couldn't afford what you wanted. <laughs> so we'd look at, he had Vox Super Beatles and things like that. And, oh, there's a Gretsch Country Gentleman, and there's a Hoffner Bass, and there's a Rickenbacker. Oh, my God. And how much would they have cost at the time? Like, uh, well, I mean, the most ex- probably not that much. The most expensive guitar in the be- world was, uh, I think, a Country Gent, and it was $600, which right. would be about $60,000 in today's. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it would be exactly. But Rick, your first guitar only cost 65 bucks, right? Well, my first Les Paul that I ever yeah. bought, it was, uh, it was 1965. I paid $65 for it. You know, it was 10 years old then, you know, because it was a 55. You so know. it was used, not an antique, yeah, right? Yeah, there was yeah, no antique they, guitars. Yeah, yeah, they never called it anything vintage and all that. <laughs> That's kind of why time. people refinished them and wrecked them and thought nothing of it. Back yeah. in that, those days, people didn't, people would bring in a guitar and trade it in, right. you know, so they could get $100 off. Well, yeah, of certainly. Them. That's what people did. Nobody, you know, it's like, like buying a car. You take your old car in, you, you know, get... Millionth of what you paid yeah, for. If you, if you got a Barbie doll, you naturally open it up and throw away the box, right? right? Who who hangs on to that stuff, right? Yeah. And now, Tom, were you a gearhead back then? Were you uh, involved, like well, interested in instruments and all that uh, sort of thing? Y- yes, and it really, it was uh, the Beatles and Stones connection, or Kinks, or whoever. Whatever they were using was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. So that was like, but those things really. For most people, me included, were out of reach. Really, the only thing people could really afford or that your parents would <laughs> buy for you yeah. were from Sears, you know, or Dan Electros or some lower end so Harmony or yeah. something. You know, like, you know, naturally they're going to get you a guitar, but they're going to buy a $600 guitar or a $60 guitar. Well, right. they don't know what you're going to do. But. And I didn't need a country gent anyway. Do you have a, <laughs> do you have a picture of the, the receipt you got? Oh, well, I, don't, I should mother. have a picture of it. I brought in, my mother sent me a, my original receipt. From a Vox AC30, my parents bought for me in 1965 from Rick's dad's store. Your first bass is that it? Or? No, it's an amp. Yeah. It's it's an amp. amp. I, I was a guitar box. player at first, right. so I didn't play bass until uh, a few years later. Right. So it's just the it's so that, weird. So the original cool. receipt. You talk about throwing away your dad's your dad's yeah. handwriting on there, and they had all my dad's information, how much he made per week, and he had to <laughs> put it on layaway, of course. Cause wow. It, you know, that's he, the way he, it was he done. worked at Morton Salt as a salesman, <laughs> so he wasn't, you know, didn't have money. And, yeah, yeah. But, but they did, they did it anyway. You know, that's the great thing about it. all of our parents. They really just they encouraged us, and they, you know, they didn't, they didn't know why. It made no sense. You weren't, you know, you just they just went for it. We it wasn't it. a bad thing. You always hear about these parents. I, I'm not going to get a guitar. You know, yeah. you, you know, like the Koreans. The, I was watching a show about Korean cooking with uh, Anthony Bourdain. It says, you know, it's like. If you say you're a CPA, you know, you tell your parents you're a CPA, you're okay. It doesn't matter if you're a lousy one or a great one. If you say you're a chef, it's like a, like the insult. It's not a job that right. is supposed Luckily, my parents were musicians. Tom's weren't, so it's like, right. that's a, like, that's but on a the other hand, genius. Your parents were musicians, but they didn't make their money as musicians. So nobody considered yeah. it as a proper yeah. occupation any more than you would get into professional gambling. I mean, right. well, see, I'm you, always, can, you can do it, if you. but what the hell? I'm always interested in 
that moment. So, you know, you guys were in a couple of bands together. There was the Grim Reapers, there was Fuse. You made an album. The album didn't do so well. You go to England, you come back. That's, there's that's all an sort, understatement. Yeah, <laughs> there's all sorts of stuff going on. And then uh, you toured as um, another band uh, called the Sick Men of Europe. Sick Man of Europe, the yeah. Sick Man of Europe. And then uh, the, what I heard was that you checked into a hotel uh, one night uh, in uh, Bedendorf, Iowa. I don't know where that is. The, tri- the Traveler Motel, as the sick man of Europe, decided on the name Cheap Trick while you were staying there and checked out as Cheap Trick. Is that uh, apocryphal that, or yeah, is that true? I have the receipt from one night, right? one never night heard that before, and then so. the next night. Yeah, I, I have it. That, uh, I don't know what the reason, you know, it's like that's a bit foggy, but that was, we had gone... We were probably hired as sick man of Europe because because right. nobody knew whatever. And then cheap trick. Oh, we checked out. It was like it was just like sick man of Europe. We probably stiffed him on the sick That's man right, of Europe. Yeah, yeah. There was some financial <laughs> reasoning behind all that. It, it's a Bettendorf, Iowa. It's actually. Do you guys know American Pickers? Yeah, that yeah. show. That's where. Uh, that's, that's where that shop is. is? Yeah, it's, their shop is nearby there, but they—they they, that's where uh, Mike Wolf was from. Wow. And Frank Fritz, too. Yeah, because you did some work with them. You sold them some guitars, right? I'm a good negotiator. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. Well, they approached me, or they approached, yeah. you know, because I had a museum for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, they they sent out their feeler guy. You know, he came out to Rockford and looked through some of my junk and some of the uh, some of the warehouse stuff that I had, and then they came back a second time, and then the thir- third time it was Frank and Mike, and uh, they ever, actually never went to my house. And Which is where to, all the good stuff is, I imagine. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, it was. Uh, I can't talk about it now on the air. Uh, but, uh, yeah, went out to the warehouse. It was, actually, it's a cheap trick warehouse is out there, so you see right. it, in the background you see a bunch of Tom's cases and amps and stuff, and then a bunch of my junk, because I've got a... I've never thrown anything away. It is kind of amazing when you read and start to do the research on this, how detailed some of the information is, because you've not thrown anything away. And so Bettendorf, Iowa looms kind of heavy in your yeah, well, uh, lore because you have the, the ticket or the, you know, the receipt from the hotel. Yeah, from I actually have ago. it in here, too, and I have, a, <laughs> I have the postcard from the place. It, it was a dump, but, you know, <laughs> no. it was a dump that we could afford. And we played, the, you know, we played every place, and that was... In Bettendorf, Iowa. I would say it's like, oh, do your did your family ever go with you? And I said they've been to London, they've been to Chicago, right. they've been to New York, L.A., Tokyo. They've never been to Bettendorf, Iowa, but I, <laughs> but we have. Yeah, and probably more spent than a fair once. amount of time there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure we were all in one room too. The the years between you know the Grim Reapers and Fuse, where you made an album that didn't do anything. Although you said at one point that the Musicians were better than you guys uh, in Fuse. They just didn't have the stick to itness. They didn't have the the energy well, to make it go. Be- I didn't say they're better, but it's like you know the guitar player. I mean, he was like he was gifted. Where I was like more of a songwriter. You right. know, I wanted to fit in. I always wanted to play in a band, and so I was playing a Mellotron. I was the first guy in the United States to have a Mellotron. You were a distributor of Mellotrons, L- right? Later after yeah. that, but uh, had that, and I played guitar. I played that that 1955 Gibson Les Paul, and the guitar player was very gifted, and we had like a kind of a parade drummer kind of right. yeah, you yeah. Know, f- fanatic guy, and Tom was on bass, and then I, I was the second guitar and keyboard, and we had a singer that was like, you know... 
I, you know, <laughs> and I, I've not heard it. Is it kind of like it, it, it? From my reading, it sort of sounded like art rock a little bit. Well, like, I'd say a bit of a prog rock yeah. thing that started to happen at that time, and we were, you know, kind of get like all oh, this just. You know, we you started to get better as a player, so you started to do things that were more complicated, right. but just kind of for the sake of it. Right. And we and had a song, one song was called four four three four, so it was four four three four back <laughs> right and forth. Yeah. We had another song called uh, 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 it had it was six eight times. Like flashy for the sake yeah, of being. Yeah, well, you know, it just it, but it, unfortunately that record did not come out. Well, right. the, uh, the we, band as a live act, I thought was great. We were really, we were pretty we were good. proud of it. Yeah. You know, we were all had different ideas about the direction and all that stuff. Our drummer was kind of like a Buddy Rich kind of a guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Kind of a jazz, good, good players, flashy, great player, a guitar player, Craig. He was yeah. great player, and Joe, the singer, he was a great singer, but it was just kind of a different style. Right. It was more like. He kind of sounded like Tom Jones, and we wanted him to sound like Steve Marriott, you know? <laughs> well, in and around this time, it gets kind of complicated. The Cheap Trick story sort of gets complicated around this time because... Uh, still is. Still is. Well, the Naz is sort of in there somewhere. The band... Uh, like, uh, it, it, in 1969, I, I got married. Right. And I went to England for my honeymoon. This is December. Yeah. And I went to England, and one of the things I, because the year before we had gone to the Marquee Club and the Roundhouse and all the places that we read about, yeah. and, and uh, I went to the Marquee Club uh, for for Yes's Christmas party. It was called. That's what it was <laughs> wow. called. And I sat in the front row, and it was myself, my wife, and Todd Rundgren and Miss Christine from the GTOs. Yeah, yeah. I knew who Todd who, Rundgren was. They were sort of famous groupies, right? The GTOs yeah. and Frank Zappa's girls, girls together outrageously. I think. That's right. And I talked to Todd because uh, Tom and I were both big Naz fans. Yeah, we loved their. Loved, it was cool album. It was like it was like the first American group that, that we that had that sounded like an English group, right. and we loved them. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. We'd never met him before, so I'm sitting in the front row, and you know, said I'd read that you had broken up, and he said, Yeah, you know, you know, I, he didn't know me from a hole in the ground. Right. You know? I'm infused. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I didn't even think I mentioned that. But I said, uh, you know, I've had a band fuse, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we had a little bit in common. And I said, um, we were always looking for a singer. We thought, you know, Stukey, the singer he had, it's terrific. And we, I, I thought that maybe I brought up the drummer first. I said, Tom Mooney, like the way he plays. Mm -hmm. said, oh, yeah, he lives with his mother in Altoona, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I said, oh, what about Stukey, the singer? He said, whatever you do, don't call him. And he said, "Okay, you know, not asking, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, not I liked my record. I didn't, I didn't yeah. care about any other stuff." So he said, "Well, call. You know, I'll try to get you the numbers. Call my roommate. His name was Paul Fishkin. He lived with him in New York okay. City. He gave me his phone number. So when I got <laughs> home, called him. He gave me the number for Stukey, who lived in Texas. Of course, I called him right immediately, and I had, I got both Tom Mooney and Stukey to." Go come to Rockford, Illinois. Live at my house. You know, I had a two family. Yeah. And because uh, none of us had any money, so it was like I had to. I couldn't charge them to you know to be in the band. Right. And it was Craig, the guitar player, Tom, mm -hmm. myself, Stukey, the singer, and Tom Mooney, the drummer. So you know, we got rid of the 
the Buddy Rich guy and the Tom Jones guy, and we thought, this is going to happen. And it's like, but it was just, I don't even know. I can't remember what happened. Well, but, we never got it. We never really got around to writing songs. We were kind of, it was kind of goofed I up. I think we just drank just a lot. Felt, we drank a lot and it fell apart. And, and were you sort of moving at this point, though, towards the sound that might become more like a cheap trick sound? Like well, stripped down a little more from tried, the 6-8 time signatures and all that stuff? Well, we tried to because really the Naz was, that was... A bit what you know yeah. we really aspired to be the who basically yeah. which which is what they did too, they wanted to be that yeah. that thing, so we we uh, so yeah we were going in that direction we weren't you know it was, but you know, but Stuky Todd Rungren was right I shouldn't have called him, <laughs> but you know well, he's, it, a, he's a great guy that wasn't yeah. he just wasn't a great live singer right. so it didn't really you, you see him on the album it's like oh he looks like this you know this. Skinny, svelte, yeah, yeah, rock, hot, rock and roll singer, yeah. and he gets off the plane. He was like six foot three, and wearing you know combat boots, and it's like, <laughs> whoa, you know, it's like, uh, well, two ladies here, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he wasn't like, but he, yeah, he was a good guy, and you know, he was a sweet guy. And he, he's got that. He, the thing about him, he's got a voice. He's got a great quality to his voice, kind of like Jeff Lynne in a way. Right. He's got his voice sounds great, so that's a that's big. So yeah. on records. He's fantastic. It's just not so much in yeah, the live just, and, and at that time, we didn't have records, so all we were was a live bar band. Right, yeah. So you really couldn't fall back on... And Mooney, Mooney had a taste of success with the Naz, and so he was kind of kind of stuck up in a way. you know. He was, And then besides the guys coming there, they brought their wives, girlfriends, right. so they're all living there. It's <laughs> like, it was just kind of... Yeah, it just fell off. We weren't making any money. Was, we weren't know. getting anywhere, and we just... So, 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 so when Cheap Trick then comes together, and like the point where I'm saying it gets kind of complicated because there's a couple of name changes, it seemed like. You played one night under one name and then to be the Nav sometimes. That, from my reading, anyway, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it, it felt confusing, people coming into the bar. And then there's the four of you, and all of a sudden it seemed to gel. And d did you know it at the time? We knew it in 74 when, when really... Robin, Bunny, Rick, and I, because there was of us another got together and went in Rick's garage. And in, in '73, I tried to put it together. After Tom Mooney and Stuky left, yeah. we got a phone call from from Stuky. He had free uh, studio time uh, in, 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 Phil, in Philadelphia, yeah. and so hey, you guys want to come out and make records? You know, because we were good players, and so so we could. We went out there. We lived with this guy named Steve Bruno and his wife. And, you know, brownstone. You know, we'd never seen anything. I had yeah, like yeah. a crappy house, <laughs> and it's like you know, it was kind of cool. And uh, we made uh, some demos at uh, Sigma Sound, where Bowie did uh, Young, Young Americans. Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we did we leave and come back again? I can't. remember. No, we stayed there. We, we stayed there until yeah. till the seventy three, about October seventy three. And my wife is pregnant, and I had to, right? Yeah, you know, whatever. I had to go back to Illinois because we had no money. Uh, the only and I stayed behind. I didn't yeah. go. I stayed. So that's where in '73 went back, different bass player and a different singer because we didn't want to. I didn't want to have Stuky again. Right. But, Stuky and I stayed in Philadelphia. Yeah. And you and Bunny went back and. Yeah, and so there was that little time period there, and. Uh, we went out and did shows with this other singer and this other bass player for six months or something. And I, I think it, we were looking for this this singer that uh, was was the singer that 
I was looking for yeah. because I went to England. I was looking. I talked to Gary. Uh, what was his name? Mike Harrison. Mike Harrison from Spooky Tooth. Oh yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I talked to him at a club, and I, I'm Rick Nielsen from Rockford, Illinois. Get out of here! You know, <laughs> nobody want to talk to me. But you know, I had ambition of what yeah. to, you know. I always loved Steve Marriott. He was my favorite singer. Right. And you know, and but he was busy too. Yeah. And we became friends later. But so. Uh, we toured for a, you know played all every club we could and then I'm not sure it was the beginning of '74. We had a chance to get uh, this guy named Robin. Yeah. Oh, I'd never seen him, but Bunny knew him. He was playing at the Wisconsin in Wisconsin Dells with a duo, and I took our manager up there to go see him. Our manager thought it was the other guy. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> and he was under under contract for a couple months and said. You know, he didn't want to pass up that $150 a, a week to go with us. And when his contract was over... For a lot less. Yeah. There's I a lot of good stuff on there. the first Cheap Trick album, which sounded different than In Color. Like, In Color became kind of the soundtrack to a lot of our lives at that moment. When that album came out with I Want You to Want Me on it and uh, Hello There and all those songs... The, those songs became, you know, for me anyway, big radio hits. I heard them everywhere that I went. But that first record sounded like a band I wanted to see live. That's the way we were. Mm-hmm. We yeah. were most like the, we were on the first record, you know, basically produced by Jack Douglas yeah. and, and let us let us run with it until the Live of Budokan record, which was live again, yeah. semi-live. The second... Third and fourth albums, you know, look, we got it, you know, from In Color, Heaven mm-hmm. Tonight, and then Dream Please. Although it, it progressed, kind of, the songs were good, but they to- tried to tone us down to make it us more radio friendly. Right. Well, and know? it worked, though. I mean, it, it did work. Oh, because the know, songs, to, songs were good. I the think. songs they worked, worked good in Japan, Japan anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, let, so, so Cheap Trick comes together. Uh, you, you're playing here. You're not having a, a huge amount of success. I think it's fair to say. Understatement. That's an understatement. Yeah. Right. But then in Japan, you're kind of the American Beatles in Japan. And tell me about Tom going to Japan for the first time. Well, we were shocked that we had that. Well, we knew we had success. Otherwise, we wouldn't be going there. But we didn't really quite realize how extreme it was. I mean, yeah. it was so extreme that it, it was exhausting. You, couldn't, you <laughs> could not do one thing. You couldn't look out of the hotel window. You couldn't go in the hall. You couldn't go to restaurants. You couldn't do anything. Wow. And it was, it was great, but it went on for, that went on for a few weeks. When we were there the first time in 1978. And it was like, <laughs> before wow. that, though, like we had uh, Clock Strikes 10, which mm-hmm. got no airplay anyplace except there. That was number one. I want you to want me was number one, and so we were getting airplay, which we weren't getting any any place else. And why Why do you think it clicked in Japan? Well, you know, you you don't really know ever. Yeah. There's, there's no uh, certainly no formula, but they said that they just. I think they they got a kick out of kind of our cartoonish look. Right. I think they thought it was funny, and then they love they love like pop music and heavy stuff too. But they they like to learn. A lot of people uh, learn English from our records, they told right. us. That's how they would learn, listen to our songs. So it was kind of interesting. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think we, it, we played rock and roll, you know, yeah. not like complicated so much where you couldn't follow it, but not so simple. And like Tom said, people learned our, 
learned English off not just our records, but it's like when you hear the Live at Budokan record, when you hear that, it's like, I want you to want me. Right. He says it like that because the promoter said, talk slow so they can understand it. Here's a song from our new record. I mean, we don't talk like that, but they told us it was only going to be released in, in well, Japan. So Yeah, that was just sort of like a thank you to the fans of Japan, right? Totally. Well, it started out it was a, for a television show. And then they, when they and taped the, the show, they realized, oh, well, well, we might as well just throw a record together here yeah, and yeah. release that. Okay, fine. And that's what, what happened. Was that uh, the best thing that could have happened to the band at that point? I mean, it, it, well, it we gave didn't. you great success. But then all of a sudden, from again, from my reading, it seems like the record companies then started saying, oh, we have to bring in outside songwriters. Oh, we no, have no, to. that was way later. Was it? Ten, yeah. That was 10 years later. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but it was like in in '78 we toured there. '79 we did recorded the Dream Police, yeah, ready to come out. But then the Japanese album came out, and then all of a sudden it became a hit. It was a huge import, and then after it was an import, they well, maybe we should put this out. <laughs> they put it out, and it delayed putting the Dream Police, which was finished, right, out. And then uh, we went back in '79, and it. You know, and played again. It's like we were huge. <laughs> it's well, like I mean, it's like we, the first trip we went in '78. We were you know we were riding coach over yeah. there, and we got to the, and we stayed in the hotel. I stayed with Tom, two guys in a room. <laughs> I mean, I haven't stayed two people in a room since my kid was born. Well, yeah. we later we're thinking about it. Wait a minute, we had two of us each in a room. But they had the whole floor blocked off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, so wait a minute, couldn't we have just taken one of the other rooms? Yeah, really. It was, funny. it was funny, yeah, but we never we didn't think about it. I mean, we left probably the last show we did was in Iowa. We were all four in a room, and there was no, you know, there's well, there was TV, but yeah. it was all, all just Japanese. There was no right. CNN or anything like that, so it was all Japanese game shows, and that's pretty much it. You yeah, sit in your room it, and, and don't look out trapped. the window. Yeah, like, you're okay. Do you take that time to write songs? What do you do? <laughs> Ron, no. what? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we wrote anything there. It was like it was just pandemonium over there. We were probably nursing hangovers every day, so it didn't really matter. Tom, you're not a fan of live albums, I understand. Generally well, I, speaking, I, I don't know where I said. Yeah, no, I'm not. How did you know that? I, you know, I keep hearing. I hate live albums. No, it's not <laughs> my favorite. My favorite live album is the Who live at Leeds. Yeah, but you know, I'd seen the Who and I had all their records, and so if that, I'd prefer to hear a studio album and see what. They put their all their energy into. Right. What do they want? You know, I, I, I don't want to hear a live the Beatles doing the White Album live. Right. I out of curiosity, yes, but I want to hear. You know, I want to hear what they have up their sleeve and hear what the you know, and then later hear a live album. So, no, it's not my favorite. Your label mates are people like Taylor Swift. That's crazy. Well, you were label machine, mates, right? but we were we've been label mates with. Michael Jackson and the Dave Clark Five. And I don't know. You don't, we don't have any, you know, no inter contact. interaction. I just them. think it's cool. Yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool because they're successful. So that's nice. Yeah. And and how did all this happen? Because you went the independent route for for some time. And so tell me a little bit about how the deal with Big Machine happened. Well, just fortunately, Scott Burchetta, who owns Big Machine, okay. took a big interest in us. He was a big fan. And he saw that we, you know, we needed help, and he was really the first one to step forward. And here's a major label, and look at I want to, you know, 
I, I think he, I can do something to, for you talk, guys. He talked to Tom first, you know, because Tom lives in Nashville. He and, talked to Tom. Yeah. I didn't know him from a hole in the ground. Yeah, I met him through a mutual friend, John Hamlin, and he introduced us. He said, I think you'd like to meet you and Scott to get along. And kind of one thing led to another there. And he, you know, Rob and Rick came down to have a meeting with Scott. He, you know, we were talking to him, and he said, you know, I, I, you guys haven't been treated right. I want to get you back like it was in the 70s. You you haven't been promoted properly. You haven't been managed properly. This is ridiculous. It, it, it's not it's not right. I just think this there's, there's something there. You guys are recording all this great new music. You're still a viable act. You're not an oldies tribute act. This is ridiculous. So we're like, yeah, yeah you're right. Everything you said sounded yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he had all this success, and he goes, look, I've made I've made a lot of money. It doesn't, I'm, I'm not even doing this for the money. I just think this is a great thing. I love rock and roll. It's you my, guys should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's He's, exactly he what he said. He said that four years ago. He said it to us right yeah. when we first started talking. And he didn't say, here's what you got to do. Here's what, you know, it's like, we had a lot of stuff we had to clean up. Yeah. You know, the lawsuits, the, the change, changing this, changing that. And in the meantime, we went out and we were given the opportunity to uh, to record, and we did four different times. Four, you know, eight songs in L.A. Yep. tour, seven songs in L.A. tour, eight songs in <laughs> right. Nashville tour, seven songs in Nashville. Now we got thirty songs, and it's like, well, you know, we worked with somebody. We introduced him to uh, to Julian Raymond, the guy that we worked with. When we had done a, a John Lennon tribute thing, right. we did a, a 70s show. We did uh, the Transformers album. Cold uh, Turkey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said the John Lennon tribute. Oh, okay, yeah. And then we did a, a couple of our records with him. And uh, a guy that Tom had known in L.A., all of a sudden, Scott sees him and sees what a great guy he is. Hey, you want to move to Nashville? He didn't. He didn't want to go, but the, uh, he made him an artistic opportunity to do the same thing and last year uh he got song of the year with uh with uh he did the last two records he's with, in nashville for three weeks and he's wow. got a grammy for the best country song the year. Like, hey campbell. julian wow. nice nice work glenn wow. campbell and then so now he's worked again with us on this record and you know it's like so we did it basically on our own we recorded the album we paid for everything ourselves yeah. we did it before we were signed right and then all this stuff was going on, and we did, we, okay, we've got all the songs together. And it's like, wow, okay, boom. And hey, come on over here, you guys. We go in walk, one day while we're done. And, okay, here, we want you to sign here. Did you ever read it? I didn't ever read the contract. <laughs> I, uh, musician. I read it, but I didn't understand it. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So he said, hey, and he helped us find an agency, he helped us find management, and made it as an offer we couldn't refuse. You want And it's kind of the us? same, it's kind of the same reason Julian moved from LA, yeah. his whole family. Scott's passion for music and just to hear him he he's a musician and he's doing it for the right reasons he loves music and he's it's the hardest worker I've ever seen he's, yeah that's like, like wow. you know, whether with Taylor Swift how, who can think they're gonna make a career out of a you know a 14 year old or 12 or whatever yeah. it was yeah he saw, he saw that. he saw it and just you know they can't tell him no because he just went for it went for it and so all of a sudden you know all of a sudden, you well, know. Well, he was in there sweeping the floors and cleaning the toilets and stuff in his own, you know. Yeah. When he started the label, he, there was nobody there. It was just him. He could have hired me. I knew how to sweep. <laughs> and we saw Jack Douglas start, too. He was sweeping yeah. the floors That's in the bathroom. Right. And the, it wasn't that they needed... Uh, Eddie Lee and Eddie needed some help. Somebody with Alice Cooper or something. He go, I'll do it. 
Yeah. We were out of time. Great. The album, I mean, I don't just... The album oh, is here. Bang, it. Zoom, Crazy, Hello, and it's available wherever you buy music. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Rick Tom. Thanks so much for Richard, coming thank in. thank you. Richard, and, you're uh, the man. Uh, check, out, uh, check out the album. You can tell you're Canadian now. You're in, uh, that was an There we out, are. Out, you know, yeah, that's right. Before check it was out. Uh, that, that Boston. Yeah, that's right. It, it, we there, love this guy. There, there's a weird little mix of accents that happened with me. Oh, uh, thanks mid, to you Midwest, for listening. Mid, I'm going to keep interrupting you. Midwest Nasal Twin is me. I'm yep. Rick. Richard, you're a gentleman and great. Thank you. Hey, I still want to see that ticket. I don't believe you saw uh, that yeah, ticket. Right. I was there. It's, it's there. Uh -huh. And from, I believe it was the government. Uh, I can't remember what the club was called because it's changed a couple of times. I saw you guys play there and I have guitar picks from that show. Hey, guess what? Hey, there's guitar picks. No. Thank you very much. Awesome. And Awesome. You can't have you just have one stupid one. One for both hands and for each hand. Uh, thanks so much and thanks to Drew yeah. and the board. I love it. Thank Get you. out of here. Well, that was really fun. I enjoyed talking to those guys. I've got Rick Nielsen's guitar picks here. My 14-year-old mind would have been blown had you told me on July 8th, 1977, that one day I'd be sitting down talking to the guys from Cheap Trick, the guys that I had paid money to go see. I love In Color, the first Cheap Trick album, though I think it's probably my favorite, but I like those first four or five records. Perfect power pop, great rock and roll, and they're still doing it. They still play hundreds of gigs a year, and the new album called Bang Zoom Crazy Hello uh, is in stores right now. You know what? Run to one of those stores right now and pick it up, because we're done here. That's it, the House of Kraus is closed for this week. Thanks for coming by. I want to thank Rick Nielsen, not only for the stories, but also for the guitar picks. Tom Peterson, great to meet him. Always great to have you guys come by, and please come by and join us next Monday. We put a new show up every single week, and you never know who's gonna stop by for a visit.